and church experience online. We're so happy that you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you'd like to access helpful growth step resources, join a serving team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our Church Experience Worship original songs. We hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned. Thanks again for joining us at Church Experience Online. Hey, Church Experience family, it's such a privilege to be with you today. Wish I could be there in person um, like we had originally scheduled at the beginning of the year, but I will take digital if that's what it takes for me to be able to be with you over these next three weeks. I am such a big fan of your church, of your pastor, your, your pastor's family, just what God is doing in and through you. Part of my story was inspired by being at one of your first ever services and watching you serve and work so diligently to be that hope and so that people can experience that more they're really hungry for. And so for me, it's, it's a privilege to be able to kind of journey with you. Uh, I know Brandon told you a little bit about um, who I am, but I want to tell you some of the more important details about me. Uh, in fact, I've, given, I've, I've put together three pictures that capture my family um, without giving you any pictures of who they are. The first is my wife. If you were to ask me what she's like, I would say perfect. Um, I would say perfect in the way that song says perfect, because I met a girl. Yeah, anyways, we won't get into that, but um, she is perfect for me, and um, she is just perfect all around. I'm so humbled to get to be uh, Jenny's husband, and um, I also am the parent of two kids. The, the first one um, is um, the living human embodiment of this, um, so for uh, the eight-year-old girls in uh, kind of watching. You know who this is. The rest of you probably don't know. This is Pinkie Pie uh, from uh, My Little Ponies, and she is exuberant. She wakes up every day excited. Uh, she is a party waiting to happen, and that is my eight-year-old girl, Ella. I mean, she wakes up every day. It's unicorns, rainbows, and sprinkles. It's the best day ever. She has... Um, so much joy and happiness. Uh, she's like sunshine, and um, which is so weird to me because I'm like Eeyore. If that was gonna, if I was gonna put my character up there, I'd be Eeyore. Um, and so um, I never have a boring day. Between um, perfect and between Pinkie Pie, life is awesome. And then I have a son. Um, we struggled with infertility for over seven years and really thought Pinkie Pie was going to be the only one. We prayed. We've wept. Uh, we looked in medical uh, kind of avenues. And, um, and God essentially kind of stepped in and performed a miracle. And, um, and so we now have a little boy named Henry. And the best picture I have for him is this guy. Hey Hey from Moana. Uh, if you have ever seen Moana, you'll know that Hey Hey was always just kind of wandering off doing something, pretty much um, threatening his life every single day if it was not for Moana. Now, my um, 10 month old um, is really smart, um, so doesn't fully line up with Hey Hey. But hey, how Hey Hey will just walk off a boat in the middle of the ocean, um, will just swallow a rock. Um, that is my son. 
Uh, he's started walking already, and he will stick anything in his mouth. Uh, he will walk straight into the ocean like he tried to do a couple weeks ago. Um, to make all this more complicated, um, he has an EpiPen allergy response to peanuts and to eggs. And so if the boy will find food on the ground, will stick it in his mouth. Um, and we have two EpiPens because his allergy is so severe. If the first one doesn't work, we have to hit him again. And, and so my life is never boring, and as probably many of your lives are. And I love these, um, this entire family that um, God has given me. And it's amazing on Father's Day to be able to be with you because I never imagined growing up without a father that I would have a family of my own one day. And uh, God just stepped in and transformed me. And I'm so grateful that even in the midst of what I came out of, that God didn't leave me there. He rescued and transformed me. And that part of my journey actually is really similar to this phrase, good question. I didn't become a Christian until halfway through college. I had a lot of questions about the Christian faith. My undergrad was biology and chemistry, essentially a biochem. And um, I used to pick on Christians for what they believed. And about halfway through college, I started uh, reading theoretical physics books, which is not exactly on most people's reading list, but it was on mine. And, and as I was reading theoretical physics, um, I kept bumping up against the idea of God, that maybe there was a God, maybe that God had a name. And over the course of that summer, while I was uh, chasing theoretical physics and bumping up against this idea of a God, uh, I found out by the end of that summer, August 7th, 2001, that that God was actually chasing me, and his name was Jesus. And um, so I was able to go back to school, and this new Christian faith that I had just discovered was quickly tested, because now I'm in a room filled with really smart people who are looking at me like I'm kind of this two-headed monster. They're like, oh, wait, you used to pick on these people. How do you sincerely believe that when you know all of this? And they had legitimate good questions. And I was forced in the very first few months of becoming a Christian with learning how to deal with people's really challenging questions, whether it was philosophical, whether it was uh, from a scientific frame like I'd come out of. And, and as I've gotten older, those good questions have gotten richer, deeper, fuller, and have become even more personal to me. As a parent, I, my deepest desire is that my kids would grow into a faith of their own, not walk out of my faith when they're grown. That I deeply desire for them to have a faith of their own, not to walk out of our faith when they're grown. And so we, we have dialogue and conversations about faith. And I'm also a pastor in a really affluent, intellectual kind of area. We have Harvard grads here. Uh, and so I have to be prepared every single week to be able to speak to the intellectual credibility of the Christian faith. And because of that, I'm excited to be able to, over the next three weeks, kind of walk with you through some of those questions. And I'll give you a disclaimer. Maybe you're here today for the first time. You're listening in. You're checking us out. And you're not really sure where you stand in the Christian faith. I'm not going to answer all of your questions but I'll give you enough of an answer to realize that there are more answers if you're willing to lean in. And I know that this church family, church experience, would love to walk beside you as you wrestle through some of these very valid and fundamental questions around the Christian faith. The question I want to lean into today is, how can we even be confident in the Christian faith? 
How can we be so sure? How can you sit beside someone in your workspace or in your home or um, with your family members or significant other? And how can you demonstrate a confidence that doesn't falter and fail when they ask a really hard question? In college, I remember after I becoming a Christian, uh, I would have professors who would want to try to undercut uh, what I believed. And I had to learn where my confidence in my faith actually came from. And that's what I want to look at today. And to do that, I want to take you to a letter that was written about 2,000 years ago, a letter that speaks directly to that very question about how can we be confident in the Christian faith? How can you be confident in the faith that you have or the faith that you're currently exploring? The writer of that letter um, is a, a man named Luke who's a historian uh, he's essentially the Ken Burns of his day. He's the Netflix documentarian of his day. And he sets out in a journey to document the life of Jesus. And he writes a biographical account of the life of Jesus that we find in our New Testament that we call the book of Luke. And that letter begins with Luke 1. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first, who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. And so Luke is setting down this kind of opening paragraph to, to, a, to Theophilus, who's kind of commissioned this research project. And he's saying, look, that many have tried to take up this account. Many have sought to document Jesus. You see, some people may say, well, the only reason we even know about Jesus is because of the Bible. And so if you use the Bible like you're about to, that undercuts your faith. And Luke, from the very beginning, is saying, no, 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 this is not just a Bible account because the Bible doesn't exist yet. He's like, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things. If the Bible had never come into existence, we would still know about Jesus's existence. Jesus from an extra biblical sources is it's very clear that there was a rabbi named Jesus who his followers believe was resurrected and who the Roman government could not disprove that that whether it's Josephus or other historians that were contemporaries around his time that like Luke says that many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us because what happened among them was extraordinary it was an amazing thing that should have never happened. And that I want to encourage you, even as over the next three weeks, as we engage the Bible, I want to really challenge you to think about the Bible not as one book, but as a collection of books. And that I'm not going to say the Bible says this is what you should believe. I'm going to say this is what Luke, doctor turned historian, early follower of Jesus, and and kind of researcher of the Jesus movement we call the church, this is what he wrote. And so he writes this, and he says, look, the people that I've interviewed, the people that I've tried to understand, to, to really dig into, or were those who it was handed down to them, who were first eyewitnesses. He's like, I've gone to the sources, to the first level sources. And he says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. He's like, look, I've, I've gone back to the very beginning. I've sat down with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and I've interviewed her, and I've asked her about those early moments of his life and what it was like giving birth to this baby boy named Jesus and all that happened around that moment. And then he says, I, I wrote an orderly account, which is a, kind of an ancient way of saying a chronological order. 
So he says, I've put all of the story of Jesus from the beginning to the end in this letter, this book, Most Theophilus. And here's why. I did this so that you might know the certainty of the things you've been taught. You see, Luke's intention was that Theophilus, who was already a Christian, would become confident in the faith that he had, would become certain in the faith that he had. Because Theophilus had some good questions. He wanted to know, can, can I really be sure about this? Can you give me some, some deeper picture of what happened? And so the book of Luke, in, in chronological order, is a sweeping masterpiece, beautifully written, uh, in, in an amazing uh, Greek uh, kind of uh, structure and format that when you read it in the original and kind of language of the day, one of the things that's very clear to you is that Luke, the writer, was, an, was a brilliant man, really intelligent in the way that he wrote with his um, kind of just the language, grammar, structure. Uh, there are other books in the New Testament letters where you can see someone like Peter, for example, in First and Second Peter, who wrote with an educational level that was different than what Luke wrote. Luke, Peter's Greek was a little dirtier. It was a little, not dirty in a bad way, but it, was, it wasn't as clean. It wasn't as educated. It wasn't as refined the way someone like Luke and Paul would write. And so when Luke sets into motion, he's kind of moving through the arc of Jesus' life, and he gets to the end, which is the kind of where he's been driving to. And this is the most critical part of the confidence and the certainty. This is where Luke is taking him so that he might address and give Theophilus that certainty that he promised. It begins with Luke 24. He says, On the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Luke has brought us to one of the final chapters of his um, kind of section of his book, the first volume. He's documented the three years of Jesus' rise, of his teaching, his miracle working, of kind of the rise of his enemies, the ultimate crucifixion of that Friday uh, uh, under a sham trial and injustice. And, and this is where I want us to slow down. Because this is really important. On the first day of the week, that Sunday, very early in the morning, it says the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. These spices are not celebration spices. These are the things you prepare to go to prepare the body properly for burial. Because of Jesus' crucifixion and when his body was taken off as sun, sunset was about to occur, um, because of the Jewish law and the Sabbath that was coming, uh, it, it, it was religiously kind of prohibitive for them to, to kind of embalm, for a lack of better words, Jesus' body. And so Jesus' body is placed in the tomb. And at the very first moment, they feel free to go with daylight. They head to the tomb with the spices to essentially embalm and prepare his body. Now, the reason I, I, I mention that and that I highlight it is that what we don't read at the beginning of Luke 24 is that at, at the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took their selfie sticks. They took the banners that they and the disciples had made. They gathered the group together so that when the stone rolled away, they could go, surprise, we were waiting on you, Jesus. 
No, they take spices for a dead man to a place where the dead man was. And it says that when they got there, they found the the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, now, they weren't in there going like, I told you he was coming back from the dead. Look, I told you that's why we should have gotten here earlier. We should have held the banners. We should have Instagrammed story earlier because he got out when the sun came up. You see, nobody expected to find nobody. Nobody, including these women who followed Jesus, including his AWOL disciples, none of them expected him to come back from the dead. In fact, when they got there and they find that there is no body, they still didn't jump to, oh, it must be resurrection. No, their first thought is someone has taken the body. They don't even have a box in their brain for the fact that that body got back up, which makes the Christian faith very fragile. That the Christian faith hinges on the fact that there was no body in the tomb when they showed up. And that while they're sitting there wondering about this, it says two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them, essentially angels. And it says, in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. They were looking for someone who was dead. They weren't looking for someone who was alive because nobody expected to find nobody. They were convinced, like everybody else, that when Jesus died, he would stay dead. And the angels have to show up and to announce what they haven't even yet to begin to imagine, which is that Jesus is alive. He's risen. And that none of the disciples... None of his followers were there that morning expecting it was going to happen. And this is a critical, crucial piece around the confidence of faith that you and I can have. Because they did not expect him to be alive. But because he came back from the dead, it changed everything. And I alluded to earlier, the Christian faith was really fragile in those early years. In fact, if you remember... Uh, one of the accounts, the Roman uh, soldiers began to spread a lie that someone had came and stolen the body, that his disciples had taken it. Now, that maybe worked in the first century, but the problem with that was that no one, no one will die knowingly for a lie. Now, you and I may be willing to die for our family members, and you and I may be willing to die for something that is a lie, but that we believe is true. But every one of Jesus' followers ends up losing their life because of their faith. The one who dies last, arguably maybe the one who didn't die because directly because of the Christian faith, spent many years of his life in prison and being tortured and beaten. He he lives long enough to write the Gospel of John and, and what we call the Book of Revelation. Like, none of, all of Jesus' followers will eventually die for that faith. And as human beings, we don't die for things that we know, we, 
if it's a lie and we know it, we don't die for it. We're like, okay, you got me. And the Christian faith, all it had to be, all the Roman soldiers had to do, all the Roman government had to do, all the Jewish officials had to do was just show the body. Or even a part of the body. And that would have completely stopped Christianity from spreading. But this is why we can be confident in our faith. You see, it's 2,000 years ago. Those women discovered the reality that changed everything. It's the reason that all of history in the Western world hinges on the birth of Jesus. It's because of the moment that they followed, that they found that Sunday morning. See, for many of us, we, we think that the Bible says is why we should be certain. But Luke doesn't say the Bible says. Luke gives Theophilus a detailed account of the historical events that occurred over those three years and over those three days. Because the certainty of the faith isn't even found in the book of our faith. It's found in an event. Paul will actually write that in one of his letters in 1 Corinthians. He'll, he'll say if Jesus hasn't been risen from the dead, that all of this is futile. And that when you and I put our confidence in our faith, the certainty in our faith, it's, it's around the things that Luke's been alluding to and explicitly unpacking for Theophilus. Theophilus's faith was already there before Luke's letter got there. What Luke was seeking to do with his letter, when he uses the word certainty, was he was making sure that um, Theophilus had all the right, correct information about the right thing he'd already believed in. See, I think the confidence is that when we realize the Bible did not create Christianity, and that may sound controversial, but it doesn't have to be. It's better than that. because The reason is because this was something I encountered early in my Christian faith. I would sit in courses and classes, whether they were science or some type of religion course or liberal arts course. And I, um, I went to a really large um, university, and I had a professor who graduated from Brown who loved to pick on Christians. And his primary avenue of attack was the Bible. He thought if he could make Christians in the room distrust the Bible, he could make them lose their faith. But the reality is the Christian faith is not built on the Bible. It's built on an event. Now, the Bible is critical to our faith, but it is not the foundation of our faith. And that this is specifically important because my daughter is growing up in a culture and a context that loves to try to poke holes in the Bible. And in some ways, I understand why our culture does it, because it's easier to attack a book than it is an historical event. You see, Christianity is the result of an event that created a movement that produced texts, biblical texts, that were collected, protected, and bound into a book that we call the Bible. When someone wants to attack the Christian faith, and they want to attack the Bible, I, I quickly take them, not to the Bible, but to the historical event that the Bible documents and attests, but that so does Josephus and other early kind of first century writers. 
that if someone's going to attack my faith, they don't, they're not going to attack it through Genesis 1. They have to attack it through God's Son coming back from the dead. And this isn't merely an academic or an intellectual thing. It's, it's deeply personal. Because to attack the Christian faith is to attack Jesus. And, and so I know Jesus didn't write the Bible. And so I'm like, look, if you want to lean into the Christian faith, here's what I want you to lean into. Jesus did not write the Bible. Jesus is the reason we have the Bible. And so before you get called up in Numbers or Leviticus or Genesis or whatever other kind of text you want to pluck out that you are un unsure of or, or uncertain of. I want to take you first to the foundation of our faith, which is Jesus. He's the reason we have the Bible. He was the reason that he, his resurrection was the moment that birthed the movement that should have never been successful. We take 2,000 years for granted and that the Bible and the church just spread. But no one in that time period would have ever, ever assumed Jesus, this resurrected rabbi who was originally a carpenter, born on the outskirts of the Roman Empire, who never wrote a single thing down that we have historical record of. And yet, somehow, this carpenter turned rabbi, turned criminal, turned resurrected son of God, took a group of uneducated Completely diverse, the, the essential equivalent of a flaming liberal, liberal and a kind of a Tea Party conservative. Like his early follower, followers were kind of a mix of all these different political persuasions and academic educational backgrounds and, and personalities. And through those men and through the group of people that followed them, he transformed the world, and that 2,000 years later, you and I know the name of Jesus, and yet most of us don't even remember the name of the emperor serving as the central figure of the Roman Empire when Jesus was born, or when Jesus died. And historically speaking, anyone plucked out of a time machine from that first century Everyone would have known the name of the emperor. No one would have known the name of Jesus. This should have never been successful. This church should have never been successful. And when people ask me, why am I so confident in the Christian faith? That the reason I'm confident is because of Jesus. Because I'm just crazy enough, like one of my mentors says, that if someone predicts their own death and resurrection and follows through with it, I'm just crazy enough to think maybe they've got a lot more things figured out than just that one thing. Because I've learned enough in my almost 40 years that dead people stay dead. Like 100% of the time. And yet that day, Something significant happened. And because of that, because of that, I have a confidence. And this is where it gets really real. It's not just a good question. It mobilizes, it, it transforms my present moment for good. Because I can look at my marriage 
I can look at my finances. I can look at my personal situation, my health, the circumstances that we find ourselves in as a nation. And if I believe that God was crucified and came back from the dead, that if he is the God of life, then I can look at the potential dying and dead things in my life and believe that he's still the God of the resurrection. I can believe that he's still able to do amazing, extraordinary, beyond what I could ask or imagine kind of things. It means that your marriage is possible to be saved. It's possible to be transformed. It's possible to even thrive. It means that your sons and your daughters can grow into a fullness of life. But it means that your chains of addiction can be broken. Why? Because Jesus was put into a tomb, and three days later, that stone was rolled away, and he came walking out to the amazement of everyone who had not gathered there because they were not expecting to find a resurrected rabbi. And so I just want to say to you, look around your life. Where are the dead things? And instead of holding funerals, maybe in faith start to celebrate and to look to the one who can bring dead things back to life. I'm just saying when we walk by cemeteries, we see coming attractions. We see things that could be. When we look at COVID-19 and what it's, the challenges it presents, we can also see how our God is able to do immeasurably more. That we can look at the, the things that we're going through that are challenging and believing if God can bring goodness out of death, if God can take the worst Friday in human history and turn it into the best Sunday, three days later, that maybe he can use even the things I'm walking through right now for my good. That he can bring good through them, even if what they are aren't good at all. And that this three-week journey that I get to be a part of with you isn't meant to be just an intellectual kind of journey around answering really good questions. It's also meant to be a reminder of how good the Christian faith is. And how we can be confident in the Christian faith. Not just simply because the Bible says so. Or because your grandmother said so. Or because even the pastor says so. All those are good things. It's because there was a moment in history when the tomb was found to be empty. Because God had walked out. And in the process, he secured for you and for me a hope not just in this life, but the afterlife too. A hope that you and I can have, a grace that you and I can have, forgiveness that you and I can have today. And I would encourage you, if, if you've been sitting on the fence of the Christian faith, if you've been kind of looking in from a distance, but you've never wanted to step into it, I would encourage you to make today the day that you begin to follow Jesus you're not following a religious figure. You're following a resurrected rabbi who came to live and die so that you could be restored in your relationship with God Almighty, the one who created you. And in the process of that restoration, have joy, hope, peace, and a new beginning, no matter what age, stage, or where you came from in life. That that 
is the good news. And that is why you and I can be confident in the Christian faith. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the hope that comes through the resurrection. The hope that can come not just through Jesus' resurrection, but knowing because Jesus defeated the grave, because Jesus defeated sin and death, that we can have forgiveness and grace and victory in our lives today. That we can walk in your confidence and your peace today because of what happened almost 2,000 years ago. Thank you for church experience. Thank you for... um, just the opportunity to be present with them today. And God, thank you for how you're using them, how you're using their generosity, how you're using their bold acts of faith, how you're using the way that they lean in when others maybe would run out. Thank you for uh, their pastor with such bold vision. Thank you for the way Jennifer serves and the way she leads and the way she's built so many amazing things. God, just thank you for their kids. Thank you for the leaders in this church. And I pray just like our faith points to, that this would be a community that experiences regularly the resurrection through the people of church experience. And I pray all of that in Jesus' name. I'll see you next week. Thanks again for joining us today at Church Experience Online. Please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected, learn more, get your questions answered, or support the movement financially. You're now going to hear a Church Experience Worship original song. We hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today.